Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This edition of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and the championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Today on the Patriots Report, Boston Globe columnist Chris Gasper, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly for the Patriots so far this offseason and set the stage for the draft as well as the spring workouts. That's all up right now on the Patriots Report. All right, Chris, let's start with this. What's your big-picture overview of the Patriots now that roughly one-third of the offseason is in the books? Yeah, obviously, look, the draft is a big part of it. We haven't seen that yet, Chris. But my big-picture overview would be they haven't done enough to close the gap between them and the other teams in the division and the teams at the top of the AFC. Individually, in a vacuum, I like the moves they've made. You know, I've always liked Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's a good player. I like Mike Gesicki. I think he's a good player, a good fit for them. I might feel differently about it if they brought Jacoby Myers back and added Juju Smith-Schuster, but just that one-for-one swap and bringing in Mike Gesicki and you bring in Riley Reef too, to me, it's just not enough to move the needle enough for the Patriots, particularly, I think, when you take into account the other side of the ball and losing somebody like Devin McCourty Mm -hmm. from a defense that, while it was the strength of the team, uh, really struggled against the better quarterbacks in the league. When it comes to the Patriots, what's been the biggest surprise for you throughout the the first one-third of the offseason? It's a great question, Chris. I I think the biggest surprise to me, and this ties a little bit into the owners' meetings and, and listening to Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, is it doesn't really seem like much has changed despite the last three years and particularly last year going eight and nine and, and missing the playoffs. It just doesn't really feel like there's a, I don't want to say there's not a sense of urgency, but I don't think there's really a lot of impetus for them to change the way they've operated. And, and I get it. You've won six Super Bowls. I understand that. But at the same time, the last three years, including the playoffs, you're under 500. You've made the playoffs once. You know, Robert last year was really adamant that they needed to win a playoff game at the owners' meetings. I don't think people really noticed because he, he said a lot of things that sounded critical of Bill. I don't think people really noticed he lowered the bar. He just said, mm. we just have to make the playoffs. Yeah. So so I'm just kind of surprised that there's not a little more um, import there, a little more motivation to get back to this, and, and maybe a little more scrutiny sort of of the record overall without Brady, which at this point, Chris... If you look at the five seasons that they've had somebody other than Brady as the starter and Bill Belichick as the coach, and in my mind, those seasons are 2000, which is Bill's first year. So it's not terribly fair to him. It's tough any for any first year coach. 2008, when Castle stepped in and the last three years, I mean, if you look at those years overall, there's no playoff wins there at all. And you're looking at a record that's 500 or just below 500. To me, that's a big enough sample size to say, okay, if we don't have the elite quarterback, we might have to do things differently. 
You wrote recently that the Patriots needed Joel to jumpstart a significant leap forward talent-wise. If you're sitting in that corner office in Foxborough, what's the priority at this point? In my mind, it figures to be wide receiver or offensive tackle or both. What do you do? For me, believe it or not, and I would I would say quarterback. Um, I, I would go after Lamar Jackson. I okay. would. I, I know it's a lot of money. I get that. But I also know where the quarterback market is headed. And even if Mac's pretty good, his fifth-year option is going to be no piece of cake. I think over the cap was projecting it at about $36 million because it's going to be higher because he's el- eligible for the, the the top 10 because he made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. So it's it's a little bit of that NBA, you know, sort of all NBA super max effect that we talk about with like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So for me, if I could bring in a guy like Lamar Jackson – and if the price has maybe gone down because Lamar sees, okay, my market's not quite what I thought it was. I'm probably not going to get a fully guaranteed deal. I would do that because I think that nothing moves the needle more or changes your team than a quarterback who can make guys around him better or compensate for a lack of talent. And I think we've seen that with Lamar Jackson, even though he's not a classic Patriot passer and he's really not a classic NFL passer. And I certainly understand the legitimate critiques of his game and the durability and all that stuff, even though I think it's maybe slightly overplayed. If you look at him versus somebody like say Jimmy Garoppolo, I would argue Lamar's more durable, but whatever you want to say, I think if he's available and really does want to play for the Patriots, that would be my number one. How feasible is it at this point though, given what we know his demands are and given the way the Patriots are currently structured, I'll put it that way, politely, <laughs> you know, the, the, the idea of bringing him in, because I think we're all on board. I, I think everyone's on board with Lamar being an absolutely transcendent talent, but it's just finding a way to make it work. You're right. And you'd have to make some salary cap cap cuts and you, you maybe you wouldn't have as good an overall team and really philosophically they've never gone into that type of stratosphere mm-hmm. for a quarterback. Um, even Tom Brady, they didn't go into that type of stratosphere. So I think that it would, it would require a change. And, and, but I, but I'm saying at this point, I think they need a change. And mm-hmm. I think the league around them has changed a little bit. Look, if you can draft an elite quarterback, nobody disputes that is the most cost efficient way to do it. It is the ultimate hack in today's NFL. If you get a Mahomes or a burrow or Josh Allen on those rookie contracts. But eventually you have to pay those guys if you want to keep them. And I think that when you look at it, based on what their model has been overall, it's worked best when you have a really, really good quarterback that maybe covers up for some of the other holes or allows you to spend a little less at some other positions. And I kind of look at it this way. Would I rather at some point in the near future when Max off that rookie deal, even if I think he's pretty good, you know, solid, top 15-ish, would I rather pay him, say, $30 million a year, knowing that the way he is, I have to pay a number one receiver $20-plus million a year? Or would I rather pay Lamar Jackson $40 million a year and pay a little less to my receivers? I think I'd rather do the latter. So the idea is that you could take that money that you would spend on, say, depth at the wide receiver position or depth at the tight end position, give it to Lamar because, again, in theory, he's a guy who could paper over a lot of deficiencies for you. Yes, yes, similar to Brady. Again, Lamar's not Brady. I'm not saying he could do it at the same level, but mm-hmm. look at who he's really played with with Baltimore. Like, who's who's the best receiver he's played with down there? I don't know, Sammy Watkins? Yeah. If that, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, the t- in the tight ends, and tight end is still a, a cost-effective position. Look at Mike Gesicki playing last year on the franchise tag. That's still one that even when guys get franchised, it's not a ton of money. It's only 10 or 11 million. 
So again, he's a guy that's functioned really well with tight ends. Bill O'Brien functioned really well with tight ends when he was here the first time. He had Aaron Hernandez and, and Rob Gronkowski. So if you wanted to build an offense around Lamar Jackson, some tight ends, and being able to bring in receivers who either are going to benefit from Lamar and the fact that defenses have to account for him as a runner, or you want to draft receivers, which I know hasn't gone the best for the Patriots, but at some point you have to hit on some of those guys mm-hmm. and sort of cycle through receivers that way, a la Kansas City to a degree. I think that maybe is a better way to go than if you look at Mac. To me, I think if you're going to build a winning team around him, Chris, it's going to have to be the Kirk Cousins or Jalen Hurts model where yeah. you have a really, really good receiver there and a really good receiver group. And at some point you're going to have to pay at least one of those receivers, a lot of money. Not just wide receivers, but offensive lines as well. The, you know, Great the, point. The, 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 I think one of the reasons that Jalen Hurts, is, and not to get too far afield here, but one of the reasons Jalen Hurts has been so good is because he has a world-class offensive line in front of him. And the idea that you know a world-class offensive line can make a bad quarterback good and a good quarterback great. Now, kind of following that thread a little bit, there is a need for them at offensive tackle, regardless of what they do you know, in free agency, uh, there are a number of names out there being kicked around. Do you have a draft guy, offensive <laughs> tackle or no? I know that you're a college football guy. Yeah. And, and so do you have a guy who you think would fit with them at number 14? Obviously, look, they're going to move up and down. But someone who is in that neighborhood who could address their needs immediately, maybe at offensive tackle. Yeah, there's a couple of guys there. You know, one, I know I know Peter Skronsky is a guy people look at and say, oh, he's probably better suited for guard. But he played the position so well and they took a chance on Isaiah Wynn with the length there I just think that guy's a technician I think he could do it the other guy I like is uh, Anton Harrison who seems to be a real riser in this draft out of Oklahoma he has the type of footwork I think the Patriots look for you know when I read stuff from like Evan Lazar who really digs into the tape and and um, you read stuff Jordan Reed of ESPN was saying that he's the guy Harrison's the guy you think that, that is going to go a lot higher than maybe the layman thinks. So that's a guy where maybe the Patriots, Harrison, you know, they could trade down from 14, maybe not as far as we think, but maybe into 19, 20, 21, probably 19 or 20, because you got to get ahead of a team like the Bucks, which has to replace Donovan Smith uh, and, and pick him up. And I think he's young. He really can move. He has a lot of potential. And if they can coach him up here moving forward with Adrian Clem, he could really fit the bill for them. You bring up Adrian Clem, and I think this is fascinating. I want to kind of get into the changes on the coaching staff a little bit. You you covered this team for an awful long time. And one of the things that really stood out to me this offseason was the fact that now there are four former players on this coaching staff. Bill has never had a coaching staff with four former players. It's always been guys, at least in my experience, a lot of the guys, McDaniels, you know, Patricia, Bill O'Brien, those types. Do you think this is coincidental? Do you read anything into this? Am, am I kind of, you know, grasping at straws here? But I do. I think this is interesting that you got Clem, you got Mayo, you got Troy Brown, and you got, um, who's the fourth? Oh, who's, and I'm blanking on the fourth right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I was like, who's the fourth? <laughs> yeah, Billy, I, Yates. I, I, Billy, Billy, Billy Yates. Billy Yates. Billy Yates. Good one. Good one. I was going to say, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to keep track. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It is really interesting. Um, because I remember back in the day, you know, when I was covering the team, you know, Pepper Johnson was on the staff and mm-hmm. and you could see some sort of roles were clearly sort of set for X player to be able to relate to current players. Uh, I think it's probably just coincidental at this point in terms of Mayo's a guy who wants to be a head coach. He did have that training from a business standpoint. Um, you know, Troy Brown to me is a little more the Pepper Johnson type. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Yates has wanted to be a coach. You know, he was a journeyman type of player. 
And Clem's a guy who has a ton of coaching experience, both at the college and professional level. So I, I don't think it was necessarily calculated that it worked out this way, but I do think it's good that it did. I do think it's good to be able to, I think maybe today's player and players have certainly changed over the last 23, 24 years. Society has changed, right? So maybe today's sort of Gen Y player is going to be more responsive to somebody that they know has walked the path. Is Mayo the next guy? You know, and, and look, we can kind of walk through the timeline. We can kind of look forward. Uh, two things jump out to me about Mayo is that, again, the ex-player thing coming in, really establishing, you know, his, his credentials as a coach here in New England. But but also the idea that they've empowered him to an extent that I don't think I've ever seen them empower a position coach, not a coordinator, not Josh, not, you know, not Patricia Flores, whatever the case may be, but a guy who now on the masthead is a position coach. I don't think we've ever seen that. And it's certainly for me, it's, it's setting up to be like, this is the first conversation we have in a series of conversations that ends with him being named the head coach in 2025 or 2026. Certainly seems like it's tracking that way. I don't think Robert Kraft did anything to dispel that notion when he was asked about it. I don't think he wanted to come right out and say it, but the idea that they wanted to retain Gerard and not let him go um, to some other places and that Gerard passed up some interviews, including for Carolina's head coaching job, which whether you think you're going to get the job or not, I mean, going through the interview can be really instructive and I think constructive for you if you really want to be a head coach. So I I feel like, yeah, he probably is at this point the heir apparent. And the only guy I can sort of compare it to, and this is different than Gerard, but you know, Nick Casario, when he was wide receivers coach, Mm -hmm. right. In 2007, they really liked Nick and he had done stuff on the scouting side and they said, Hey, we want you to be um, the wide receivers coach. And then even when he was in player personnel, he'd still be in the box on game days and they really didn't want to let him go. You know, Houston came after him that time, that that first time, Mm -hmm. and they still didn't want to let him go, even though he wanted to go. So it sort of puts me in that mold um, or mode, I should say, with Mayo, where it's like, here's a guy that they're kind of trying to train to run the whole operation, and they feel like he maybe can do that someday. We can talk about Mike Gesicki. We can talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and the impact that they're going to have on the 2023 team. I think no person is going to have a greater impact than Bill O'Brien. Explain to people the importance of getting a guy like Bill O'Brien back in the building. Yeah, certainly he's an accomplished offensive coordinator, and He's been an NFL coach and was successful at that with Houston going to the playoffs multiple times. And and I think the other element of it, I think his time at Alabama will really help him relate to Mac Jones. And I know everybody's heard that story about when Mac was going out and Billy O was coming in to replace Steve Sarkeesian as offensive coordinator down there, you know, Mac teaching the Alabama offense to Bill O'Brien because Nick Saban wants to keep the terminology the same given the turnover they've had there. But I think that benefits O'Brien because some of the concepts and things that Mac Jones did at Alabama that he was successful with, Billy O'Brien is now familiar with. He understands some of those things. He understands why Mac would be comfortable in them. He understands why Mac was successful in them. And he also can marry it to the traditional Patriots offense, which Mac was very successful in as a rookie under Josh McDaniels, because Bill O'Brien knows that. So in a lot of ways, he's really the ideal candidate. And I think that they are putting a lot of weight into Bill O'Brien being able to get more out of Mac Jones and more out of this offense. I mean, if you ask me, Chris, who is the single biggest offseason acquisition for the Patriots and who the Patriots think it is, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, I think they think it's Bill O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. And and look, we can talk all the live long day about Patricia and what happened last year. It feels like 
and I've talked to a handful of other people for this podcast. It feels like he's still kind of assessing what he wants to do. He may be best suited for that Ernie Adams role. You know, the, the guy sitting up in the booth and, and kind of, you know, kind of chirping in Bill's ear a little bit, giving him historical comps, that kind of thing, but just kind of stepping away from the on-field stuff, at least for now with this part of his career. If he stays with the Patriots, I think that's true. But I think that he probably envisions trying to be a head coach again someday mm-hmm. and, and wanting to be a coach. And I think that was part of the at least acceptance on his part of taking that role of offensive line coach and offensive play. Call. I mean, I'm still one of those people. I mean, this, the decision was disastrous. There's no other way to put it. And yeah. and I agree with Robert Kraft that Matt Patricia was put in a really tough spot. I'm one of those people that still thinks if you had just asked him to be the offensive line coach, I think he would have been okay at that. Yeah, I really yeah. think he could have done that. Yeah. But asking him to do both, I don't think he really did a good job with either of those things. And now it's sort of harmed his reputation and harmed his brand. And it could be tough for him to get back in to coaching. I mean, he's kind of damaged goods at this point. So I agree with you if he stays here. But if I were advising him, I would say his best move would be to go somewhere else in some sort of coaching capacity and and rebuild his brand as a coach, you know, whether it means he's a coordinator, maybe not right away, but, you know, sort of get back on that path to being a defensive coordinator again, and then maybe you can be a head coach again. Mike Rodak came on this podcast and had an interesting theory that he goes down to Alabama and rehabilitates his coaching career with the help of Nick Saban, who seems to, you know, do God's work when it comes to rehabilitating <laughs> coaches. You know, the, the, the idea that he goes down there, he's an analyst for a couple of years and then kind of rebuilds his brand a little bit and kind of comes back you know, either to a big time college program as a coordinator or to the NFL as a coordinator, maybe even a head coach down the road. Who knows? So we'll see. But I want to, you know, we talked about the impact of Bill O'Brien and I want to kind of circle back around in the idea of which one of these guys uh, in free agency that they acquired has the best chance to have the greatest impact on the 2023 roster. Great question. Great question. Um, as I think about it, I mean, I'm probably going to go with Gesicki just because I think he's a, a unique matchup piece. He's he's sort of a big receiver, as Bill Belichick has called him. I think he's a guy that can work the middle of the field and get open. And he's not this level of talent. But if Bill O'Brien sort of wants to dust off some of the old Hernandez Gronkowski playbook and the key to that for me Chris was when they were doing that stuff it was Aaron Hernandez could line up in all these different spots and I think Gasicki can do some of that and what they used to do was really get teams all out of whack by going no huddle and they could change formation without changing personnel because Mm -hmm. Hernandez could line up out wide as a wide receiver he could line up uh, detached in the slot he could line up as an h-back he could line up in the backfield he could do all those things so they could go no huddle and change their formation and not change their personnel and create mismatches. And I think they can do some of that, not to the same level, but some of that with Mike Kosicki out there. One more free agent question for you. Is there a guy who is still out there who you think would be a good fit? Mark Daniels was uh, with me last week and he was talking up OBJ. Uh, is, Is there someone out there, whether it's OBJ or someone else who you think is one of those classic, maybe Patriots second wave free agent signings, who could fit in Foxborough? That is a great question. You know, so my answer to you before would have been uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I really wanted. And obviously he signed with Detroit. Mm-hmm. In terms of who's out there now, I probably would still lean towards, uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. 
at this point. I'm trying to think who's out there in terms of defensive backs because there, that is Rock you've seen the, the, in, it, there's a handful of guys yeah. out there who I, I think would be a good fit, especially too. And this is a this is something that I, I think is worth getting into. Yeah. The the Devin McCourty effect in in whether you trust a rookie to come in here and kind of, you know, do a lot of the play calling, quite frankly, what he was doing there in the, you know, in the Mac line, or do you identify a free safety out there? Or do you say, look, Jalen Mills, it's your deal. You know, you, you go for it, you know, you go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, at this point, I probably would lean towards Jalen Mills, but there were guys I liked, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson was a mm-hmm. guy I liked. I liked Julian Love who landed in Seattle, I believe. Um, Taylor Rapp, who just signed with the rival bills that mm-hmm. I know the Patriots had him in for a visit. It didn't quite work out. Those were all guys I would have identified as, hey, here's a guy you can bring in here, a veteran safety type. And off the top of my head, you know, I'm sort of trying to think if there's another one of those type of guys that's still out not there. Not a lot out there. There's Nick Scott signed with Cincinnati. Point. I mean, there's yeah. just not much out there, I think, of that safety spot at this point. And that's why I would lean towards Jalen Mills. And and maybe you just go and get a veteran corner who's who's still out there. Like you mentioned, Rocky Yassin. Where do you stand on DeAndre Hopkins? I would be interested, um, especially if the price is closer to the Brandon Cooks price. Mm-hmm. But having to redo that contract could be problematic for me. I think you have to decide what you want to do. You know, I would be more interested in Lamar than DeAndre Hopkins at this point. But I do like DeAndre Hopkins. And if you were committed to Mac Jones and you're saving some of that money by having that quarterback on the rookie contract, then I would definitely bring in DeAndre Hopkins. And as long as I don't have to sign him to like a really new long-term deal, you know, if he wants a little bit of a bump on these last two years, that's fine. You know, I'll figure that out. And maybe we throw on a ghost year for salary cap purposes. But if he's looking for like a brand new deal, you know, five years, Devontae Adams money, then I think that's a tough sell. Does Bill Belichick break Don Shula's record in New England? I think so. I think so. And and this is just a feeling. It's not information. You know, my feeling, Chris, is that if you really dig into what Robert Kraft says, first of all, Robert Kraft, to some degree, has always sort of um, enjoyed tweaking Bill a little bit in the in the press, you know, not in a mean spirited way. But that's just, you know, it's just a little reminder that there is a chain of command and Bill's not ultimately at the top of it. But he, if you listen to what he says, I mean, he says, I still believe in Bill. Bill's exceptional at what he does. I think people sort of seized on a lot of the other stuff he said. I don't see Robert Kraft blowing Bill Belichick out of here before he breaks that record unless it gets really bad. And the other reason I say that is, okay, let's say he does fire Bill Belichick. So now you're the guy that essentially, essentially, whether you intended to do it or not, chose Belichick over Brady. Then four years later, you got rid of Belichick. So you're responsible for both of those guys leaving not on their own terms leaving the organization and then even if you move on from bill okay now you're going to turn it over to gerard mayo or bill o'brien and ask them to run it and the other thing i would say is i don't think the that the organization organization excuse me is really in a position to move on from bill because there's a lot of inexperience even in the front office like somebody like matt grow who bill yeah. promoted to director of player per- he had zero pro personnel experience before this so if you got rid of bill not only would you have to bring in another coach or or you elevate mayo or o'brien right mm-hmm. but o'brien was not good when he had player personnel control exactly. you're not exactly. giving him that yeah. i don't think gerard's ready chris so yeah. you'd have to bring and i think you'd have to bring in 
like an experienced general manager. I, I just don't think it's realistic. Like it sounds good. And I know he likes tweaking him a little bit, but I think that, you know, really Bill's here for the next two or three years. For a guy who cares so much about his public image, I think it would be really difficult for him to 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 kind of swallow that pill. The idea of being the guy, as you mentioned, the, the guy who chose Belichick over Brady and then let Belichick walk or fired Belichick or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I do think that he ends up breaking the record here in the best possible timeline. If you're the Patriots, he breaks the record. You move on from him a year or two after that, and then you you know, you hand the keys over to Gerard Mayo and you kind of start a new chapter of your franchise. So I want to ask you two league-wide questions here. First of yeah. all, kind of a, a variation on the, the, the surprise question involving the Patriots. What's been the most surprising thing for you when it comes to the league this offseason? Oh, that's a great question. The most surprising thing when it comes to the league. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised by the um, – well, I'll say this. I was surprised – Jalen Ramsey to Miami. I, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. I thought, you know, maybe some other teams would be involved, but Miami is sort of so heavily leveraged themselves the last couple of years. And they'd already made the Bradley Chubb deal and they lost their first round pick to Tampa. I, I just, I didn't think that they would go in with Jalen Ramsey the way that they did. And then the other thing would be the overall lack of interest in Lamar Jackson. It, it surprises me, Chris, mm -hmm. just because given how, quarterback dependent the league has become and I know he's not the perfect quarterback I just have a hard time believing that if you're a team like the commanders and I know the Colts said they're interested mm -hmm. but if you're a team like the commanders or the Colts or you're a team like um uh if you're even even the 49ers right and I know Kyle Shanahan believes or Atlanta Atlanta was the other team I was trying to think of None of those teams are really like that interested in Lamar Jackson and that is shocking yeah. Yeah. To me, that is shocking to me, especially teams like the Colts and and the and I know the Colts have said they're interested, but Jim Mersey poured cold water on the guarantee thing. But especially teams like the Colts and the commanders who have sort of walked through the quarterback wilderness and tried a million different things and gotten no answer. Talking about walking through the quarterback wilderness, I have to imagine that Carolina is doing the same thing with the number one pick. If they stick at number one, who are they taking? Great question. If it were me, I would take Bryce Young. I think they're going to take C.J. Stroud uh, mm -hmm. because Stroud, I think, fits the profile a little bit more with his size, the size that maybe Frank Reich wants. He he He's a better runner than he showed at Ohio State. He didn't run a lot, but he can run. I mean, he's not Lamar Jackson or Anthony Richardson as a runner, but he can run. And he's when he's on, he's a precision passer. And I also go back to his performance against Georgia even though they didn't win, was so tremendous. And it reminded me a lot of Deshaun Watson playing against Alabama those couple mm -hmm. of times. That's where it's like comp. you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, this team is in the game. And, and remember, you know, he did it without Jackson Smith and, and Jigba. And then at the end, he had to do it without Marvin Harrison Jr. So you're looking and saying, this is like the only, this other team physically is better and they're going to win the line of scrimmage up front on both sides. But this quarterback's playing at an NFL level in a college game. And he's keeping his team in the game. And that's C.J. Stroud. So I think C.J. Stroud gets the number one overall pick on the strength of that Georgia tape. Who's the quarterback of the Jets come week one? I think it's Aaron Rod. It has to be, right? Yeah. It has yeah. to be. Unless unless the Jets want to jump into the Lamar Jackson thing. But they brought in Alan um, uh, Lazar. They they are flirting with OBJ. Mm -hmm. They brought in Miko Hardman. 
And Nathaniel Hackett, who is close with Rodgers, is their offensive coordinator. I mean, does Nathaniel Hackett – would you trust Nathaniel Hackett to get the most out of Lamar Jackson after no. what happened last year with – Not a chance. With Russell Wilson? Not a chance. So I think it's A-Rod or bust for them. I mean, yeah. they they really – the Jets have kind of painted themselves into a corner here that they have to make this happen. They they have no choice. They have done the, the most Jets possible thing. <laughs> where if Rodgers flakes, and there's the very real possibility that he could still flake and retire or go somewhere else, they're left with, I don't want to say they're left with nothing, but they're left with Zach Wilson. And that's you know, nothing. Yeah, exa that's exactly. Nothing exactly. Fair point. <laughs> Tell people a little bit about your new gig. Yeah. So, you know, the Globe and Nesson, obviously there's some synergy there in terms of uh, ownership with uh, John Henry and Linda Henry. So we're starting a show. There's There's a show that the Globe is starting called um, uh, Boston Globe Today. And that show is Monday through Thursday and it's sort of a news-based show. But on Fridays, we're going to have a sports-based show called Boston Globe Today Sports. And that will air on Nesson. And we're going to do it in the Globe. There's a very nice new state-of-the-art studio that's been constructed in the Boston Globe. And we're going to feature the very talented writers and editors and columnists of the Boston Globe Sports Department, which is one of the most powerful brands and I think iconic brands when it comes to newspaper sports. And so we're going to feature that. And I'm going to host the show on Fridays, Boston Globe Today Sports. And we we're in rehearsals now. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward, Chris, to being able to converse with my colleagues like you, which is always fun. And, you know, at the core of it, if we can bring some of the conversations that happen in the press box, Mm -hmm. or in the sports department organically and naturally and passionately. If we can bring some of those to the air on Nesson and bring them to the fans, I think we will have done our job. That's the goal. I love it. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're running in about a million different directions this time <laughs> of year. you got the TV show, plus, you know, opening day tomorrow, the Bruins, the Celtics, the Patriots. Look, it, it never stops. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. One more reminder, this episode of the Patriots Report has been brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and the championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.